out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the 14 ice bears because I spoke to the main man, Robert, or Rob Sekula, very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry. This is the interview, and if you remember the 14 ice bears, you should do. They were on the scene during that particular period and uh, beyond. But uh, just to say, this is an interview that took place when Rob was walking around Regent's Park, so um, in London, if, you, if you're vaguely interested. So there is some noise and motorcycles and cars, various things like that. And once or twice, I think the reception does slightly fade. But don't worry, it all works out fine in the end. So it's a very atmospheric interview, but um, there you go. If you want to, or well, vaguely interested why, there was so much noise, and that was it. Anyway, Rob, tell us about your formative musical years. Over to you. Um, well, I'm the same sort of age as you. And um, so I grew up listening. I mean, first sort of things I remember hearing were like the Beatles and the Monkeys and stuff like that. And um, I remember I used to love watching the Monkeys on telly. And I wanted to be David Jones and all this. You know, so uh, that was like the 60s. And I got the tail end of it. And then, um, yeah, I love glam rock. Uh, Mark Boland and all that stuff. Still do, actually. Um so that was sort of forming me, but I, I was really into like, like in the mid seventies. Um, maybe I was a bit more square than you, but I was I liked the charts still and all that. You know, I was still quite young, and I liked David Soul and rubbish like that. Not rubbish actually, in <laughs> retrospect, there were good songs. You know, a lot of yeah. them. So um, yeah, I grew up with all that, and then um, I... first first sort of indie-ish thing that I got into mainly was like things like the Liverpool scene, like kind of Bunny Men, Tudor Explodes, and all that. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I had a brother who was a bit older than me, and he was very much in. He went into the world that was accountancy back in the that period. So he was very. He was the cliche of being into prog rock. So, yes, yeah. Genesis, Wishbone, Ash, Balky, James Harvest, and all that. So I, I sort of slightly worshipped him. So I also sort of went to that direction. But I did have a sort right. of a, a kind of a fondness for some of the kind of. I suppose, the, the charts in the 70s, because some of it was, I don't know, it was probably quite quite memorable. I can't quite remember it now. Yeah. But I, I, I missed, because I was a bit too young for punk, so that didn't really happen. Yeah. And also I grew up in a village in East Anglia, so we didn't really get a chance to do anything punky at all, really. So what was yeah. your, wait, did you ever have sort of any musical kind of dreams during the 70s or, or the early 80s? Um, well, I sort of... I was quite lucky when I was about five or something, we did some school musical thing and I got hold of a glockenspiel or a xylophone and the teachers sort of said, oh, he's quite musical. And my mum, bless her, she sort of paid for me to have lessons and that. We weren't that well off, so it was quite, in retrospect, again, it was a quite nice thing for her to do, really, to pay for her son to do that. So that started me off, really, musically. Um, sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> you, when did you, yes, kind of, did you have, because I just have always been... A fan. I've never sort of gone to the next level. So, yeah. how did you, or what happened in your in your life that made you start to think actually I might be on the stage rather than just looking at the stage? Yeah, that was like the start of it. And so I, I was sort of musical really, and um, I did like I did grade eight recorder and all this and theory of music when I was a kid. And but I got I wasn't really into classical music. Though. Um, so I started picking. I picked up the guitar and I just it, it, you know it felt quite natural playing music and that quite loved it and um it's sort of 
since I was like, first I wanted to be a footballer, but when, when I got to about 16, I wanted just wanted to be in a band. Yeah, that's all I yeah. wanted to do. Did you, yeah. were you, um, was it Brighton was your hometown? Nah, I'm from uh, I'm Camberwell in South London. Right. So you were very much yeah. on the streets, kind of soaking in the yeah. vibe. Well, that's quite good. I mean, you know. Well, sort of. <laughs> I was living on a crappy estate. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah. yeah, standing. Well, at least it, it sounds exciting anyway. That's that's the main thing. So then you got to that point in the early 80s. Did you do A-levels and, and go on to university? Yeah, yeah I was. I did um, did A-levels and I did philosophy at Sussex. And um, But all the time I was just wanted to form a band. I wasn't really that committed to studying too much. Well, I was into it, but that was, it was just a reason to start a band off, really. In Sussex, yeah, oh, that's, where, that's, that's why it was based in Brighton. Oh, yeah. I've got it right. It all yeah. so it's all clicking because in those days, yeah. a degree or getting or going to university, you got a grant, didn't you? So you you were sort of quite well yeah. made. I mean, and my, I can mem- remember my brother sort of used to save money on his grant and was able to claim housing benefit wow. and also sign on in yeah. the Easter period and and also exactly. cr- Christmas and summer. <laughs> I mean, we done it. We had it so good, didn't we? Harold McMillan was almost right. We had it so good, but um, yeah, I mean, it just made a lot of difference, you know, those days. I think that affected music that you, you couldn't afford to do that. You can't really afford to do that so much anymore. It's really difficult if you're young, you know, to get a band together. I suppose if you have to work all the time. Well, I think in yeah. a way, I mean, and, and without sounding, you know, into that kind of rose-tinted sunglasses, and it was all but much better. But there was. There was a few things that people did, and obviously doing these interviews, I've, I've realised a lot of the bands, you know, claimed unemployment benefit during that period or were doing job seekers allowance. So that kind of helped because that was also a form of sort of an indirect grant, really, let's face it. And um, at the time, I don't know about you, but I remember sort of feeling I wasn't part of the kind of Thatcher's wonderful new world, and so I felt a bit... Like there was not so much a stigma stigma about being unemployed. It felt like that's the thing you did when you were a, a young rebel in you know not, yeah you know watching James Dean films really. But yes, yeah, so that 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 kind of helped. Yeah, I remember the um, enterprise allowance scheme. I was on that for a while. <laughs> I've, been, I've been on a few government schemes over the years, but that really helped. Yeah, I mean. God, I don't know how you could do it these days. Yeah. And did you feel that there was, because I I guess you've seen Neil Taylor's fabulous book called C86 and all that, the creation of indie in difficult times. And I mean, yeah, which we're not in, apparently. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. Neil. I haven't got around to reading it. (laughs) I'm not surprised. That's that's a shocking admission, isn't it, really? He's got everyone else. Yeah. I'm so upset. No, oh well, never mind. Yeah, know. just one of those things. But we were so, in the Sam Nee. We we're in the Sam Nee book, so that was good. Yes. Well, you know. Yeah. I would. I would champion that one more. But did you? I mean, do as the eighties progressed because we had the sort of the post-punk period, which was all very sort of. It felt very sort of complicated, almost prog in places, wasn't it? And complicated. Huh? Oh, sorry. Oh, are you Sorry, still you cut out for a second then. I heard you say about the eighties post-punk. Then yes, I, I said the the that that that. You know, I know you had the mainstream charts and that was, you know, that Trevor Horn sound. But then as the 80s progressed, we had the kind of indie world that started to kick off with. And you mentioned Echo and there was like Simple Minds and U2. And you'd had sort of, um, yeah, that Liverpool scene as well that had come out of Eric's, which was kind of exciting. But then it was kind of like the change started to come 
with um, with oh my God, that sounds very loud in Regent's Park. Um, with the Smiths, '83. Did that have a massive effect in your life? That's a quite a leading question, actually, isn't it? Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I was already into indie stuff. Like, I liked um, all the postcard and all the, yeah, the Bunnymen and all that. But then, yeah, when the Smiths came along. Um, I, got, I, did, I was really into them up to about the first album. I went to see all their early gigs in London. Um, I was at the, yeah, I remember they, they used to get the flowers on the stage, off the stage, throw them into the audience. I remember, I remember seeing them supporting Sisters of Mercy, and there was like, there's probably about 20 of us watching The Smiths at King's College. Blimey, that was, yeah. a, I bet you stood out, didn't you? How do you mean? <laughs> well, in the sense that you didn't probably look like the Sisters of Mercy fans. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Although no, I was, I wasn't a goth, but I was a Bunnymen fan, so I wasn't that far off. But you know, but so, yeah, the Morrissey gave everyone permission to tuck their shirts outside their trousers, basically. Yes, and was. and flop yeah. around a lot, which was quite nice. And also, yeah. we we learned some new dance moves. Did you get into things yeah. like the Creation Records? You know, with with people like Jesus and the Mary Chain, also the Jasmine Minx, and then people like the Orchids as well. Um, I, I, yeah. Um. Sorry, the line's really bad. Um, I got I got into um, the Mary Chain when they first came out, the first single, because um, it just sounded really different to everything that was going on. It was a really good tune as well as the noise. Um, I like early pastels, primal scream, all that stuff. Um, yeah, that, I was quite into all the early stuff on creation, really. Yeah. Yes. Momus? Yeah. Did you did you go through a Momus phase? Or? Not really. No, I didn't. No, I never really listened to him enough. Maybe. I've heard good things about him, yeah. Yes, well, he's, he's incredibly arty, I have to say. But um, yeah. he's slightly intimidating, really. But then, when did, you, when did you sort of get the band? When did your band suddenly become, um, you know, right, this is it, 14 Ice Bears? Well, it was at university. It was um, probably about the second year. I just kept asking people. And, um, yeah, and I put an advert in the town. And eventually, after a few tries, got sort of four people together and we start, started. And it was like... And it just felt really exciting, really, because it felt like something was clicking in some way. Yes. Yeah. And did you, at that stage, I mean, I expect everyone asked, how did you get the name, by the way? <laughs> oh, God. Um, it's just something that happened to me as a child. No. Um, <laughs> the true story is really, really banal. It's, um, I was in, in Sainsbury's, and, and there was a packet of biscuits called the 15 Ice Bears. I was desperately thinking of a name. For some reason, I just went, yeah. No, let's change it to 14 because I love 14 because um, I was a huge fan of the Dutch football team of 1974 and that was Johan Cruyff's number. They were like a bunch of hippies, basically, with long hair and beads and they almost won the World Cup. So quite like they made a big impression. And so that's why I made it 14, really. My God, you know, that is boggling because I absolutely love that 1974 World Cup. It's my oh. favourite thing. And Johan Cruyff. Brilliant, isn't it? And I wanted <laughs> yeah, to be Johan Cruyff. I wanted to be Johan Cruyff. And I still, at night, <laughs> so sometimes I. if I can't go to sleep, will watch, you know, like clips of Johan Cruyff, just grace in the field. And he is just extraordinary. So that, that whole team <laughs> is still ensconced oh, yeah. in my mind. Yeah. And, that, and that World Cup, you know, where they were so close yeah. to winning against, you know, no. in the final, but they, they kind of blew it, really. But, yes, oh, yeah. God, that's but fantastic. It's left me, it's, I know, it's left me with, like, um, a legacy of loving Holland, and um, I go to Amsterdam every year. I've been there for about the past 25 years. Yes. Do you do you yeah. own a pair of Puma training shoes, then? Sorry? Do you own a pair of Puma training shoes? 
no, no. It's, he, it's good. He's got his own shop in Amsterdam. There's a, there's a Christ. Like he does his own training shoes. Right. Well, I have to say, yeah. no. He was he was just such a beautiful football player. I mean, we. Oh, and if you get nice. a chance, I have to say, I mean, this is, this interview is going completely off. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but if you get a chance, watch the game when the, when Holland plays Brazil and and they sort of win. Oh, but it's one I of them. I remember it already. It's etched in my in my subconscious. Don't worry. That when he scores that goal where he's like flying through the air and he just. Touches it with his foot and it goes in. It's like what? I know, but it's the way that he twi- twizzles and kicks the ball back in yeah. the net with such because the Brazilians were th- absolute thugs in that game. So oh, um, yeah, it was amazing. It was. I mean, I remember. I still remember watching it at the time. Yeah. Yes, I know. God, the excitement. Was heartbreak broken in the final. Yes, God. I know. After ninety seconds, they they yeah. won up. It was what was going <laughs> to go wrong, and then they just yeah. couldn't be bothered really. They were hippies, really. Let's face it. But Johnny yeah. and Johnny Rep and Nayskin. Johnny Rep, beautiful. Yep. We even do you know we yeah. named our cat after Johnny Rep. You know the football. Oh, are you joking? <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thought we'd both have this Dutch connection? Yeah, <laughs> we got a song called Holland on our first album. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's right. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. in the 1970s, it was to do. I'll just finish this, and then we, we can get back to the band, which is fascinating. Okay. But because um, in the 1978 <laughs> World Cup, we got a cat, and yeah. I said I'll name it after the guy who scores the winning goal in the World Cup. But I'm oh. so gutted that Argentina won that I just yeah. called it, I just called him Johnny Rep, and that was it. Really. Yeah. Because I thought yeah. Johnny Rep, because Johan didn't go to that one, did he? Mr. Cruyff. So, um, they, no, uh, I can't remember the reason. I think, I'm not sure if it was political or what. I can't remember. Well, the story is that they got him and his wife got um, kidnapped or sort of ransomed, and he was so freaked out before oh, right. he decided not to leave the country, and that was the end of that. Bloody hell. <laughs> I know. Anyway. So, look. Right, we must park that. Sorry, uh, the, the fourteen. The fourteen is just yeah. Fourteen, <laughs> bizarrely, fourteen and seven are quite magical numbers, really. But they think, are yeah. seven chakras. Yeah, we're all there, aren't we? I can see your second track on your first album, Holland. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Seven and seven is beautiful. Nice one. Yeah. Now, <laughs> so so when you started sort of rehearsing and playing, did you were you writing your own material at this stage? Um, yeah, that I basically did from the beginning with the Bears. We did, um, in our first ever gig, we did um, Sid Barrett's Late Night as a cover. You know that one? No. It's got like a slidey guitar over. When I woke up today and you wanted to play how I wanted to be with you. That one. Nice. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Late Night, it was called. Yeah. And right. uh, I didn't have a slide, slide at the time. Didn't really know how they worked. And I had... Um, an after glass aftershave bottle when I use that. <laughs> oh, nice one. That's yeah. good. So how long did it take before... Because most bands, and I come from Norwich, so frankly we don't have a lot. We had the Farmers Boys, the Higson, Serious Drinking. It's not an amazing rock and roll city. I mean, every band comes through here, especially on the indie circuit. And Do you know the Nivens? Because our, our drummer was in the Nivens. Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. The, one, the ones yeah. from Norfolk, not Northumberland. Yes. Yeah. Which, who was yeah. your drummer? Graham. Graham Durant, Durant. He was from Norwich. Yeah, you nice. Might know him, never know. <laughs> a fine, yeah. a fine city. Um, yeah. Yes. So, did you feel that you'd got because because the sound of, of the fourteen ice bears does kind of have a you know a timeless indie quality, doesn't it? Um, yeah, but the trouble is the sound changed so much as well. I, mean, I was listening to someone uploaded one of our last ever gigs in '91. I was listening to that, and it's just totally different sounds. You know, it's not poppy at all. That was the thing about us. We didn't really 
I was I was just obsessed with making stuff, you know. And so I'd write bloody loads of songs every week, and so we'd end up just just playing new stuff almost constantly. And I think it really, in, you know, looking back, I don't think it was a good idea because people used to come to our gigs hoping to hear balloon song or cut, and they get this like massive loads of noise, but tunes, but totally different type of music. Yes, that is. Yeah. But then you know, look at David Bowie. I mean, he he must have completely freaked his audience out. And I was a Bowie obsessive, yeah. so um, there you go. But you, yeah, it's great. But luckily, yeah. in the eighties, there was a, apart from your government grant for education, um, there was also the, these great gatekeepers. We had John Peel. You know, we yeah. had the NME, the music papers of you know, yeah. including Science and Melody Maker. So you got, you know, you got the sort of John Peel moment as well, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, again, we were very lucky, I think, at the time, all the bands were to have those, as you say, gatekeepers. I mean, yeah, the music papers, everyone read them, didn't they, and see what was happening. And then you had fanzines as well. And so there was a whole tunnel of things you could go through, you know, for people to hear you. Yeah. Luckily, people loved us, you know, so that was lucky. Yeah. And what was your, can you remember much about your session that you recorded for him? Yeah, still. I remember some things. Yeah. What do you want to know? Well, this was this is what in '86 the band had only got been together for about a year, hadn't you? So you, you know you yeah. you fast tracked to sort of made a vow. Who was the producer for that particular uh, session? It was uh, Dale Griffin from. Oh, um, yes, you know, the yeah, yeah, what the hoople, yeah. Nice one. Did yeah, and he, like, he loved, and the thing was, he loved Cut, and it was like, oh wow, really? Because that was the first. Sort of time someone like that liked our stuff. He thought it was a really good song. Cut. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That yeah. is brilliant. And then, I mean, with that, did you feel that this this was going to going to be it, the big time? Um, well, when I heard the session and John Peel's reaction, I was totally blown over. You know, because he he was um he was I don't know if you've heard him talking about it when he's doing it. But he's like, um, oh, I love these ice bears, all 14 of them. He kept saying stuff like that. He's like, my kind of band. Oh, wow. And I was thinking, oh, my God. You know, I was excited anyway to be on Peel. The fact that he was doing that, I thought, this is it. We're massive, going to be massive tomorrow. Yes. But that was sort of the high point, really, of my career. Possibly. Well, because you did four songs. You did the balloon song, Cut, Shy Like You, and, and Train Song. So had yeah. you sort of got much material by then? Yeah, as I said, we were sort of, I was writing stuff all the time and we'd always come up with new songs. Like every couple of weeks we'd have a new song, really. And it was just mainly trying to get it honed down to a set. But yeah, I mean, I was always writing. Yeah. Yeah. And did you, because at this stage, you you sort of eventually signed to some Thunder uh, Thunderball Records. I've never come across Thunderball Records, actually. Who were they? <laughs> it was um, this one bloke, Graham Sinclair, and he did the, um, I don't know if you know, there's a compilation um, by Shelter and it, a video as well, a C&D video with loads of indie bands on it. And we're on it, like Mary Chain on it, the Smiths are on it. I think he got it with the enemy or something somehow. <coughs> so he did that, and, um, and but he quite liked us as well. And he had another band called Kilgore Trout. And so he basically sort of financed everything. I mean, the first time I met him, unfortunately, he headbutted me, which was... <laughs> Yeah, because um, was that some? Yeah, we were at some gig, and he was like a friend of a friend, and he's just got a strange sense of humour, and he just came up to me and headbutted me. We ended up putting out a record. Nice. Well, that's yeah. probably yeah. the most unusual way of meeting someone. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, I would have. I would have probably been a bit upset by that actually. But you, you sort of thought he sort no. of did it in a joking way. He was a friend of a friend, you know, and he, he wasn't like violent really. He was just like half because he goes, "Oh, it's on about the ice bears," you know. He liked us, and then he pretended to headbutt me a bit. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I took it in a good nature. It was a nice headbutt. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, I've never been headbutted. Headbutt. Oh, good. That's yeah. that's nice yeah. actually. I mean. A shake of a hand would have normally been okay, but um, I suppose now yeah. we've been in lockdown, a headbutt would be quite exciting. But um, yeah, as long as you've got a mask on your head or something, yeah, yeah masked up and kept two meters a apart. Headband, headband yeah, and couple two. headbands, yeah. So what? Because you were also releasing records on Frank Records as well, weren't you? Yeah, that was the first because um, that was Mark Flunder from the Television Personalities, and um, he came to see one of our gigs on the off chance and he really liked one of our songs, um, Jumped in a Puddle. Uh, and he said, it's, oh, it's a mod classic. And um, he was like, he wanted to put it out as a single. And we sort of changed our minds and we never put it out. Um, and so, but he still released the single, yeah. Blimey. Which, he which... Was yeah, he was Frank, yeah, sorry. Yes, and what, what member of the television personalities was he? Oh, Mark Flunder, he played bass on quite a few of their stuff, business yes. albums and that, yeah. No, the most exciting thing, because everyone loves him now, um, or, or still do, or did it back then, is kind of the incredible t you know, tre um, TV personalities and Dan Tracy. Did you ever meet the man? Um, we played with him in Harlow. Um, we didn't really chat or anything. I didn't really know him that well, to be honest. Um, uh, sad what's happened I used to see him walking around Camden you know it was for where before, yes. before he, all the horrible things kicked off yeah I know but he's so hopefully he's, I mean I don't really know what is, what's happened to him at the moment I know people know him quite well you know people who are in the TVPs now and you know so I'm Feel, you know, I'm concerned with all them. Hopefully, he's going to be all right one day. I think he's. It. I think he's got a good team of people around him, so that's good. Yeah. But I just know a lot of people. You know that label that he put. You know, Wham Records was one of those ones that um, people hold with great affection, really. So um, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, things will go well. So then, the first yeah. album. This is exciting, isn't it? The Fourteen Ice Bears' well, first album. Did you? Where did you <laughs> record that? Oh God, it was in a. It's, um, basement of a suburban no of a you know turnpike lane north london they're like terraced houses in, in north london um and it was yeah it's in this basement it was done by these sort of two sort of hippie-ish old blokes that we no they're old probably younger than i am now yeah but at the time at the time you're in your 20s everyone's old aren't they and um they, but they were brilliant we just did it in their basement and um, unfortunately, we all—it was in the middle of summer, and there must have been some virus going around, and we all got quite ill. Um, and we were stuck in this room together. Um, we couldn't get out all day; really had to carry on. But yeah, we, you know, listening to it, we were really impressed from what they did with the sounds and that. They were brilliant. Yeah. How did you discover them? Um, oh God, who was it? Who put it out? Was that how? Was that Thunderball? I think that was Thunderball Records. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I, he just had contacts, Graham. You know, he, he because of his work on the C and D videos and all that, he knew loads of bands. Yeah, he yeah. organised it all. That was great. But then, because cause, cause for me, you know, I put 80, 87 as great, the greatest year in music. It's a bit of a sweeping statement, but, you know, let's face it, there were so many good. I mean, did you, I mean, at that stage, and there was the NME cassette, how come you're not on the C86 cassette? Um, well, a... as, I, as I said, we weren't as you know that big at the time, really. We were sort of we weren't up there with primals and all that a lot. I mean, they were really getting all the music press. We got a bit, but 
we weren't really seen in, you know, as first division or whatever you want to call it at the time, I don't think. Yes, well, I have to say, yeah. though, I mean, most of these bands, I mean, they were pretty tiny at the time. I mean, when they put this cassette out, I don't think anybody expected it to be that popular. Did you, because they've reissued this, haven't they, as a 66 triple CD box set. Did you, are you now on that collection? Yeah, we, well, they, they first reissued it um, back in the early 2000s, before Cherry Red did it. Um, and uh, we're on that one. It was like an expanded CD version, like loads, loads, no, about two CDs worth. And then, yeah, Cherry Red bought out all the stuff, didn't they? We're, we're on, we're on quite a few of those. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think they, they they've gone through the years basically, haven't they? Eighty six yeah. to nineteen ninety. So I'm, um, yes, it's good that that they've they've got that kind of enthusiasm to do it. And um, so it's then, yeah. so so as a, as that kind of thing, I have to say. Having done this show for a long time, most bands have a five-year narrative, and you could imagine, especially during that period, you know, the you have the honeymoon phase where you sort of might get a John Peel play. Well, if you get a John Peel play, at least you go to the next stage where you get the session, the first album, lots of touring around the country. Did you do all the little clubs and art centres up and down the UK? Um, yeah, but we weren't like um, prolifically touring. We were just we're doing about I don't know twenty gigs a year. Because um, we were in Brighton, we didn't have any money. We were all on the dole or students. Um, we didn't have a manager. <laughs> Business-wise, we were a bit of a screw-up, really. But um, we just got it together to sort of sort the odd gig out. Yeah, we weren't on any gigging circuit or anything. But we did play like loads of those little venues, the classic ones like in London, like the Black Horse and the Falcon and all that. Yeah. Yes. And what was it? What was your typical fan? Look, what was a typical 14 Ice Bears fan looking like? What sort of tribe were you? Because from the photographs, you do have a slightly psychedelic kind of floppy fringe look, don't you? <laughs> that was nice. It was all natural. Um, <laughs> Your stylist. Yeah. Um, well, the people that came to our gigs, we sort of fitted in with the C86 people at the time. You know, it was all sort of the bullheads and the anoraks and all that. that were the, they were the people at our gigs as well. That was the fashion, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. And were you, I mean, during that period, you'd obviously, well, hopefully finished your degree. Had you sort of become, you know, a full-time musician or were you sort of having to subsidise it by um, some other means? It's basically on the dole. <laughs> um, and sort of, yeah, we were just scraping by, really. Wasn't Never really had a proper job, thank God. Yes. <laughs> so then the other thing that kind of happens, as you kind of can remember... 87, the Smiths break out, which is horrendous. Though at the time, you know, we just thought, oh, well, never mind. There's new, new, new people on the, on the block. And then, you know, ecstasy hits. And then you had that wave of excitement. And then you had the scene from yeah. Seattle as well and grunge and that first Pixies stuff and Sonic yeah. Youth and then obviously Nirvana. So did you, I mean, how yeah. were you sort of navigating that period musically and creatively? <laughs> oh, are you still there? You've gone, cheesy crazy. Oh no, shit! Like sort of electro. Hello. Oh yes, me? yeah. Sorry, yeah. you 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 walked out of range. You probably walked behind a sorry. tree there. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'll try and stay still. Um, and like electro stuff, and so we actually just did like um jokey things like that. But I was into didn't mind some of that. And then um when the rave stuff came out, um like in Brighton, I didn't really get into the ecstasy. I didn't really know anyone who was selling it. But I used to go to all the late night raves. And I got off on the vibes that everyone's being nice and dancing friendly with each other. That was brilliant. I got into all that. And so um, on our first album, I don't know if you know the song Take It. 
starts the album. Yeah, I tried to put an acid house type, um, like a like a you know that sort of weird noise you used to get. I used to love that um, the psychedelic sort of sounds that used to the frequencies when they muck around. So I tried to do that on Take It, and um, it's then it ended up sounding more like a sort of a squeaky bicycle. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Oh. But it was a good intention, you know. If only it worked. I know. And you also, thank God, you you recorded for for Sarah Records as well, which obviously at the time you probably didn't think was a big thing, but now Sarah Records has become the this iconic label. Um, yeah. So did you feel? I mean, at that stage, did you know Matt and Claire? Um, only from like, yeah, playing gigs and they come to gigs, and um, so we knew. Them that and I, I got the fanzine a few times um i loved the uh, first um sea urchin single as well i bought that when it came out so yeah there's a lot of credibility around sarah at the time because of the things like that and um so when they asked us we were like yeah definitely we'd love to love to play a, do a single yeah yeah did, did, i mean being a fan you never know what happens and it probably isn't quite the the reality of it but do you did you hang out with other bands or sort of Kind of hang out, not hang out, just hang out, but just um, yeah, sort of occasionally meet and swap stories about what how it was going in the in the world that was indie land. Yeah, um, I was sort of mates through mutual friends of um, people in McCarthy um, and the Wolfhounds a bit. Um, used to go to clubs with some of them um, in Brighton. Primal Scream used to live down there, so I was sort of mates with Bobby a bit and some of those felt a little bit and. Um, there's lots of Brighton bands as well. We we're all sort of hanging around together. Um, but yeah, so there's quite a few London bands now I knew, yeah. And did you ever get sort of any tempting offers for other labels at this stage? <laughs> nah. I heard that once that um, Creation wanted to do a version of Cut or something, I don't know how true that rumour was. And um, and then ex-band members might were thinking about doing a version, but it never happened. But that's just... I don't know. That's what people told me. I don't know for sure. No. But, um, yeah, we never got... I mean, Sarah was about the biggest label they were ever interested in us, really. So yeah. when you when the turn of the decade happened and, and sort of... It always feels a bit strange because you think, God, this is... You know, what's the 90s going to be like? You were, you know, you release Wonder. When, when did you start sort of recording or writing that particular album? Um, well, we recorded it. Oh God! I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I think it was '90 in the autumn of 1990. It was in Norfolk, actually. Um, there was a Raven. Was it Raven Recordings? Um, a friend of ours who was in the, some do with the Nivens as well. Howard Turner. He was a producer, and we stayed at his place. And it was a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere, and it's just amazing because I'd just go for long walks and I'd sort of get inspiration from the trees and that around me for lyrics and that. It was amazing. Yeah. Blimey, that's quite a beautiful story. Yeah. A psychedelic trip in the countryside. Yeah, it was like two, three miles from any village. So there'd be long walks. It was amazing. I loved it. Just yeah. Just, you know, get inspiration of certain things and enjoy it, yeah. Nice one. I can see now, because you've got songs like um, Heaven Star, Smooth yeah. in the Sun, and also Love yeah. on Sugar Mountain. Was this yeah. a little bit of a homage to uh, Neil Young, by any chance? Funnily enough, it wasn't. I mean, it's only about three or four years later that I started actually to get into him. And I noticed <laughs> and I noticed when I was playing guitar live, I was sort of doing a similar style to him and I didn't know I wasn't being original. <laughs> so that was very disappointing. Um, yeah, so 
but yeah, it was quite weird because I didn't. I, now I love the song Sugar Mountain, you know, by Neil Young. <laughs> yes, this is true. So yeah. then, after the, when the album, when you were recording the album, what was the atmosphere with the band, and who was in the band at that stage? What, which album? Wonder. Um, yeah, Wonder. The second one. Yeah, um, yeah we we had a, a Tim joined uh, to play bass. Tim White because uh, uh, Kevin Taylor had left. He joined Blow Up. He wanted to play guitar. He was a brilliant bass player. Though. He was on our first album. And then friend Tim that we knew in Brighton joined us, and he was more into um, sort of darker stuff, I suppose, not so indie-ish. So that changed the sound a bit, and also we'd all sort of gone through different experiences as well by then so we weren't so indie feeling really i suppose in a sort of yeah not only in the sense that i don't know you know you change as you grow older a bit you know and you don't want to just repeat yourself anyway no and also by then one's also got disillusioned in life let's face it as, as the years oh, go I'd, I'd had quite an easy life still up to that point oh nice that's good <laughs> did you so when you were recording the album did it feel because sometimes you know People have said, yeah, I knew the band, you know, this was probably going to be the end of the band, but, we, you know, we'd committed. What was what was it like for you then at this stage, you know, going no, into... Well, we were just really excited to do it. Um, no, there was never a feeling that it was ending or anything. No, because we didn't split up till about two years later from the recording. Um, no, it was just really exciting that someone had, a, you know, one, there's Borderline Records in Brighton, it's, which is a record shop. It's run by this bloke, Dave Means, and he's like this hippie... You know, he was a lot older than us, and he knew people from the '60s. Like he was friends with Gene Clark and people like that from the Birds, and he liked us, and he wanted to put, he put our album out. So we were just very excited again, you know, to be doing it. Blimey, yes, and actually, yeah, we nearly we nearly had Gene Clark on the album, but then he sadly died that year, so it didn't work out anyway. Yeah. God, showbiz—it's a cruel world, isn't it? Yeah, it's a terrible. So then, yeah. So what did you do for? T- did you tour the album and sort of hope for something to happen? Uh, we were never, see, as we never had them, we didn't really function very well in that sense. Um, we did some gigs and that, yeah, but we, we played around Europe. We played, um, got offered gig, gigs in Germany and Switzerland and everywhere, so we did a lot of that as well. But, you know, I wish we'd had someone who could organise it properly because I couldn't bloody do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you still have people around Europe who, who contact you and say, well, you know, Yes, still sort of want to um, ask how you are. I mean, do you still have... Are your fans loyal? Nah. No, no I don't know. I mean, it's with the internet now, it's all on there now. We don't get letters or anything. I haven't had letters for decades. It's just... you just People on the internet get in touch sometimes. You know, that's nice, asking for T-shirts or your question. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's not as if I'm getting bombarded with fans. <laughs> no. Nah, so nah. did you... When was the moment you thought, that's it, we're going to... The band is no longer? Or was it a case of, actually, it's, it just kind of vaguely stopped one day when you... Yeah, it's... Um, I don't know, things... It was sort of falling apart a bit in 92. I can't remember why now, a long time ago. Um, I don't know, maybe we just got a bit it wasn't going to happen maybe a few of us and um and tim who was who was playing play bass on the last album he was going up to london and he said why don't you move up as well and i just thought oh yeah maybe it's the right time and so sort of split the band and moved up to camden <laughs> yes and did it feel like a wrench when when you felt like the band was never that was going to be it 
Nah, funny enough, didn't feel a thing really. I just thought I was going to do my own thing. Right. You know, it was just the next step now. And I had, and um, so I thought moving up, because I'd, I'd come up to Camden and that, you know, um, to the Falcon. I don't know if you know that pub. It was like a legendary pre-Brit-Pop place. That was hard to say. Pre-Brit-Pop place. And um, so I used to go there a lot. And I loved, I just loved it. And I loved the vibe of all the, all the bands hanging out. And it seemed really sort of exciting. Something was happening. But that was about 91 and that. So then... I decided to go up to London as well, yeah, and I thought nothing could possibly go wrong now. Form a band, and it's all going to work out. Yeah, <laughs> and it didn't. So yeah, then, what, and so, so there's a kind of a big gap now, isn't there? Until you reform in 2010. So, so during that time, were you just kind of um, waiting for something to happen, or did you sort of just put the guitar down and sort of, I don't know, do other things? Yeah, I tried to do a normal job for a bit, and um, yeah, I still used to practice now and then, but I wasn't. It went through phases, you know. I went through one stage where I wrote in um, in about '96. I wrote tons of stuff, and I've still, when I play solo now, it's still mostly that stuff. <laughs> it's quite weird. I've gone from being really prolific all the time to not writing much stuff in 20 years, because I really like the stuff I wrote then, and it's never. And now what I'm doing, it's like a non an unending sort of quest. I'm doing this recording like at home um, on the computer and that of those songs, and I'm sort of still working on it and um, just trying to make it amazing. Where it get to the stage where people hear it and they go, "Bloody hell, what's this?" You know, I want to make it that good. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so I'm going to keep trying. It's well, that's there. we've got to do it. But did you? Yeah. I mean, when Britpop was all kind of happening and you were looking at these people on stage, did you think, "God, we should be there as well"? I did. No, it's more individual, I suppose. I was more thinking, oh, I should be, I should be up there with my new band because I sort of, you know, I actually used to know quite a lot. Like Graham Coxon was a friend, and people like that I used to hang around with them all in a good mix every night. And so um, I thought I'd be doing, joining in with it with my my new stuff that I'd written, you know, all these new songs, but never quite happened. No. So no. so then you have this big moment where you you tour America, which is. In 2010 and 2011. So, what was the, yeah. what was that kind of, um, how did that kind of come about? Because that's quite something. And you must have, you must have got a letter. <laughs> yeah, it was the internet. It was um, uh, someone we both knew. Well, actually, no. What happened first? Um, I went over. A friend of ours was getting married um, in New York in 2002, and. Um, some reason we thought let's go over and do a tour as well of the bear stuff and my new stuff so it was like half bears half my new stuff that was with tim again on bass and come back a couple of other people um and yeah we did that for some reason we we managed to tour with um ladybug transistor I don't know if you know them no uh, oh they're like a brooklyn band and I, I like their stuff they're really good um they're sort of bits sort of baroque 60s pop type stuff bit of indie thrown in big, big mixture of stuff and yeah, so we toured with them a little bit, um, a couple of gigs, and then yeah, then 2010, people who put gigs on in um, in New York sort of asked if we wanted to to do tours and that, and so we we, all, we just organised it all ourselves. We contact and we asked people over there if they knew other clubs, and we did like three dates: um, New York, Boston, and um, New England. Um, and then, yeah, we went over the next year to the West Coast in a similar way. We just asked people who put gigs on and 
they sort of helped organise it all. Yeah, blimey, that's quite something. How many, how, how big was your was the band at that that stage? Did you have, you know, the four piece? Um, it was the same lineup as on the Wonder album, apart from Kevin, the guitarist, because um, he was like settled down and he had a proper job and everything, and um, so he didn't want to sort of get back into it. So we did it as a three piece, and it really worked. It was quite weird. I didn't think I didn't think it would at first, but the sort of um for some reason there was more space in the songs and it just clicked again you know it was just and maybe we're all better musicians <laughs> 10 20 years later as well and what was the audience like oh it was weird because um we'd play some gigs and be like like new york and there'd be like hundreds of people there packed out and then you know you play somewhere else or um yeah when like the west coast was weirdest like we played los angeles there was like hundreds of people and then we play sacramento and there'd be like 10 people turn up or something so <laughs> i would play portland i think about five people turned up and we were supposed to we were guaranteed 400 dollars and the bloke was like i'm sorry man i can't pay you <laughs> i tell you have a huge row with him because like otherwise we couldn't afford to go around the country you know to pay for things and i said you guaranteed <laughs> and luckily you know he handed it over you know i felt bad but he'd organized it and yes guaranteed it you know so i couldn't i had to go really with it you, know? you had to be your you had to sort of do your sort of peter grant moment didn't you and sort of shake him up <laughs> yeah. a bit and um threaten yeah. him with hard man hard man of c86 i know that's right <laughs> tough tough <laughs> those street fighting bands from the, yeah. the indie world yeah i know it was all about the vegetarian diet now you did yeah. a john peel night didn't you with vic goddard viv albertine and, and the tvps around that time yeah in um holloway holloway yeah numbaka up yeah that's right what, what year was that about 2012 maybe? yes yeah and what was yeah, that was pretty good <laughs> You know, it was very nice to be on stage with all those legends. <laughs> well, I was going to say, that must have yeah. been quite something, actually. And then, you know, because this is not that long ago now. Well, actually, it is, isn't it? It <laughs> is. It is. Oh, Christ. It is. It is. It's nearly oh. a decade. Yeah, okay, yes. I know when you get older, a decade, what's that? Um, <laughs> yeah, what's a decade? <laughs> yes. But you, yes, but you you were doing these kind of the indie tracks festivals and such, you know, outdoor festivals as well. So you did pick up on that little circuit and then... You know, mm. you had a, a, a double CD, you know, retrospective come out on Cherry Red Records, Hold On Inside. So it was were you sort of looking at the band as possibly coming back and doing more material or new material? Um, no, we didn't really think ahead that much. We were just happy to have the interest and we just thought, let's just play these gigs, getting off a, you know, yeah, a series of really good gigs, the indie tracks and all that. We played Paris and all that as well. Um, so we were just happy to go along with it and i it was still in my mind it was should i do the bears again but I, because i had my new stuff i wanted to do it felt a bit weird just to lump that onto the bears um there wasn't like a let's we have you know because the base the um drummer lives in brighton and we both lived in london me and tim it was all it, we just we just you know we, there wasn't we just wanted to try this out, enjoy it for now and see what happens really rather than have a plan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, did you, I mean, did you always feel though that, were you the, you know, would you say you are the 14 ice bears? Is it <coughs> your band or uh, um, is that no, a tricky I mean, one? I wouldn't say it's my band. No, I mean, I wrote the songs and that, but I mean, it was a proper band, you know, so we're buried, you know, especially around the first album, the second album, that we were a proper touring band, you know, we're all in it together, 
hanging out. Um, no, nah, we were a proper band. Yeah. yeah, I just wondered if you felt like, well, I am this sort of the David Bowie character here. This is this is kind of my band, but um, obviously not. Well, I mean, it was my idea from the start. Of the band, I suppose, you know, it was, you know, I'd, so I'd had that feeling inside me to do the band, and that drove me. Um, but you know, it, it wasn't like. Luckily, the people in the band had similar ideas what the music they wanted to do as well. So we didn't really have any with the best lineups. I don't. It's, it's the opposite to what a lot of people say about friction is really good for bands and that. In our, in my experience, it was brilliant when we were actually all on the same page. You know, we just seemed to flow like rehearsals, especially around the first album time. It just just kept coming up with new stuff all the time. You know, it was amazing. And we'd like I'd really got into. I don't know if you know the band, the West Coast Pop Art Experimental Band. Yes, it does ring a bell. Yeah, yeah, I got into them through Peel actually, and um, we just used, used to play their stuff all the time because no one had really heard of them. Sort of, they were like an American version of early Pink Floyd, Sid Barrett. Really, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So does that mean because because a couple of years ago, and it really is just a couple, you did your Christmas Christmas single on which was on Bandcamp. <coughs> so was that was that? Um, I mean, has Bandcamp been sort of a, a sort of a quite a boost for the band? <laughs> um, it's a good thing. I really like what they're doing, but we, no, we, we, have, we didn't make much money out of it. No, we didn't really sell a lot. And like that single, <laughs> I won't tell you how many it sold, but it wasn't great. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, yeah. Be, I mean, trouble is, if you're, not, if you're on a label, especially in the old days, you got loads of publicity, and it was a more of a stir around you. Now, if you just release something on Bandcamp, it's harder to get people into it, to hear it and stuff, yeah. Yeah. So at the moment, then, are you just kind of basically working on your, you know, the potential new new material and trying to sort of get that out that you wrote several decades ago? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, well, I wrote that Not Santa Claus one about a year or two ago, just before it came out, about six months before it came out. Um, so that, that's quite strange, because after... 20 odd years suddenly it's just that one song and I released it as a single because it, it was weird because it just got into my head and I I thought it was going to go mad unless I released it in some way because it would just would not go out of my head that chorus I don't know if you'd heard it it's like um no ho ho it's not Santa Claus and if you hear that enough times it just haunts you and so I had to release it and I thought once people hear this, they're going to love it. And, it's, and again, it didn't happen. <laughs> but the good thing is I can try every year. Now. Yes, it's, uh, yes, it's going to be there forever. Yeah, at least yeah. I've got a plan for the rest of my life. Yeah, a pension plan. Yeah. Mm. If I do nothing, I can just do that, yeah. Just rely on the royalties from that single. Yeah, hopefully I'll get a pension anyway. Yeah, actually. <laughs> so does that, I mean, I mean, does that mean that you've, you've dedicated your life to the world that is kind of pop rock and indie no <laughs> no because i'm into other things as well i'm really into like um meditation and sort of um sort of psychological spirituality type things you know um i've actually got a twitter page body meditation i call it body meditation um because i found that it's quite odd but i if i get i found that if i had aches and stuff and pains if i just stayed still and like concentrated it and felt it as much as possible it would like get really painful and then fizzle out and I've, I've been doing that for the last 25 30 years and so 
a couple of years ago, I thought, like, I just because I want people to know about it, but it doesn't seem to get into people's heads. People don't believe it because it's too weird. So I set up this body meditation page. So it's on Twitter and Facebook because um, I do that every day. That, so in a way, that that's sort of more essential to me, I suppose. But, the, you know, the music is also the thing that's been with me all my life and that seems to have had the most success for me. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to merge the two. I mean, a lot of the lyrics on the second album, like these are the things, that song... I didn't realise at the time, but that was really about being present and about, you know, being in the moment and just seeing what's all around you and just like being in touch with it all and loving it and all that stuff. And so I just wrote that sort of subconsciously or whatever. And then I, when I got more into things like Eckhart Tolle and people like that, he was talking about the same thing, you know. So, yeah. Blimey, you, you went through a, a sort of, one would call that a slightly new age kind of spiritual path, really. Sort of, yeah. But the thing is, I, I do it in a practical way in my life. Like, it's like an exercise. I can feel the pain. I'm not thinking, you know, it's not a theoretical thing. Like, at the moment, I've, you know, like, um, I, I was getting lots of lower back pain. And so I sort of stretch into it and I just feel that pain as much as possible. Like, push it, not till it hurts, to, no, not till it kills me, but it still hurts, but I can feel it, you know. And when the more I let it hurt, the more it goes away. Todd, there you go. Yeah. And I, I thought, so I looked on the internet, I thought, other people must be going on about this. <laughs> There's no one else. And um, so I thought, either I've discovered something or I'm totally weird. <laughs> that I'm the only person it can work on, which is, just sounds really strange. Yeah. Does that mean you get, do you, do you have sort of clients and sort of people coming for kind of sessions? No. I mean, I set up this body meditation thing um, and part because I was going through a really bad financial patch a couple, a couple of years ago. I didn't know what was going to happen. And and suddenly it clicked. So why didn't you try and do it online? You know, suddenly I got all these images of what to do. And I thought, brilliant, I could actually do it via Skype or WhatsApp, you know, for half an hour. And I, so what I did, I told people the process anyway for free on the Internet, how it works, what you have to do. I didn't want to have to make people pay for that. But I said... If you want a one-to-one, you know, tuition or any questions like personal about it all, you know, you know, but, but not personal about the person, about yes. to personally ask a question, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd do it that way. And I thought I'll get most people interested. And I had one person who's a friend, I won't name them, um, and they said, oh, I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. Can I book five sessions now? <laughs> I was like, oh, no, just book one and we'll see how it goes. And he ended up never getting around to doing it because of other problems he had. So that, that hasn't been a great success, no. No. God, that's <laughs> but a great idea. That's such a... Well, it's, it's so frustrating because I do it every day and it works for me all the time. I'm a, I used to have gout. I went to Amsterdam. I had the worst stomachache ever. and I, I couldn't leave my hotel, you know, because of the, what's happening. And... So I sat there, and for an hour and a half, I just felt the pain in my stomach as much as I could. And that evening, I was out getting drunk. Wow. It was just, yeah, it just went. Yeah, so I, it's it's weird. It's like I don't understand why people don't talk about it or know about it. <laughs> well, yeah. this is this yeah. is exciting. So between the music and the, the, the sort of... The, the healing, you know, you've, you've sort of cornered quite a niche market, really, haven't you? Yeah, maybe, I, yeah. Well, especially in terms of the bloody healing, I don't know anyone else is doing it, that's a problem. I know, it's tricky, isn't it, really? So, look, yeah. I mean, if you, I mean, 
kind of always curious. I mean, if you could have said something to a, an 18-year-old self starting out in that kind of interest in world that was making music, I mean, what would you sort of advise or, or would you want to whisper in their ear to say, oh, by the way, this is a great idea, but just do this or that? Um, I'm quite content with the way I did it, really, the um, way things worked out. Um, you know the accidents that I stumbled upon maybe it's best just to leave it to people to find their own way really you know I mean don't be an arsehole to people is probably a good one you know when people are in bands they think they're really cool I mean yes. I don't think I was ever that bad but some people were you know they, and they oh, you know I'm in a band and all this stuff it was nonsense really a bit of an ego thing going on there so I'd, I'd say try and keep away from your ego if possible Yes. Or deal with your ego, face your ego, yeah. And being in, you know, having that world, the world that is kind of music and being in sort of, I don't know, I know of quite a lot of people, you know, the world of publishing and ownership of music, how did you navigate that that kind of sometimes tricky path? Well, really amateurishly. I mean, I, I was on, I went on, um, is it copyright control or PRS and all that? I was luckily, I was told I had to do that. But um, we were never properly published by anybody. Um, Cherry Red, a few years ago, just got in touch and they said they wanted to publish us. So that's how we got in. That's how I got one. Yeah, apart from that, not really, no. No. I just wondered if occasionally, because a lot of the indie bands, I think, you know, I've done, they often say, oh, yes, we get £60 a year if we're lucky. <laughs> and I just wondered, yeah. I just wondered yeah, if I you... Yeah, I get that. I get, I get that from Cherry Red or PRS or AWOL I joined as well, uh, online company. Yeah, so but not not until that was that was all up to, you know from about eight years ago. Before then, there was no publishing really, no deals. Yeah, God, that's such yeah. a that's such an amazing one. But I'm really hoping that you'll be able to sort of. Well, it's great that your music is kind of available and out there. Sorry, sorry, motorbike just went past. You probably know. I just <laughs> yes, I did. That was the, all good stuff. No, I was just going to say it's great that the music that you've got out there is available on Bandcamp and also. On Spotify, which you get nearly two thousand people a month listening to the uh, to your sort of tracks, which is quite a really? nice little number. Yes, I didn't know. I had no idea. Two thousand a month. Sure. Two, well, let's have a look on this one. It's oh, it's seventeen hundred monthly listeners. Wow. So there you go, the 14 ice bears. The interesting oh, if thing... I had a pound for every person who listened to us, sorry. I know, this is true, actually, isn't it, really? But, I mean, and it's always interesting because it says where people listen... OK, I'll have a look. Los Angeles, Ooh. London, oh, Brooklyn, yeah. Chicago, New oh, York. Oh, massive in those places. Yeah, you're massive, but you should get out to <laughs> L.A., actually. You'll be fine. Well, we played L.A., yeah, we did that. It was good. They're probably your, um, they're probably your fans. Yeah, they Well, Slum Slumberland Records, who put out a first compilation, well, the first one on CD in 2000-ish, they're from um, L.A., yeah. That's right, yes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's, that's yeah. brilliant. Well, look, this has been fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much for giving me the time for this, because um, right. obviously, yes, you you mentioned the 14 ice bears and um well no you not not just mention them but you you also mentioned uh, the is it the sea urchins so i always sort of yeah. slightly put you into the same chapter as as those sort of bands so and yeah um, i the, like the bachelor pad Do you like them as well yes yeah i love them they at the time they were like you know big fan i was big fans of those yeah because they're sid barrett influences and all that and they, they took the psychedelia route as well yeah, it's interesting because yeah. on Spotify it says, you know, for the 14 ice bears, if you like 
fans also like, and these are the bands that, you know, if you like 14 Ice Bears, you'll like Even As We Speak, The Razor Cuts, Brighter, Another Sunny Day, The Sweetest Eight, The Orchids, The Brilliant Corners, The Flatmates, The Hit Parade, McCarthy, The Wolfhounds, Mighty Mighty, The June Brides, Field Mice, and uh, The Pot Guns, Close Lobster, Northern Picture Library, and Boy Racer. So there you have it. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't really heard much of myself. <laughs> um, yeah, it's weird that how we're perceived, but what can you do? I mean, it's, I suppose it's because the early stuff was more famous, um, you know, because of the Peel sessions and all that. Yeah, so that's probably how we're seen more. I mean, personally, I, it's not, I, I, I listen more to like psychedelia and um, things like Grand Parsons and Big Star and that. And, um, and Ween, I love Ween. I don't know if you've heard them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're probably. I, I think they're probably the best band of all time. Yes. Well. Yeah, because they have, have you heard this stuff? They sort of take music and they, it's like they muck around with it and they come out with something even better. I think they're amazing. I think they're geniuses. Which is a good thing, actually. Yeah. yeah. I don't. You know, there's. Um, what about people like they might be giant giants and Camper Van Beethoven? Did they ever come? Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember him in the 80s. I never got into them, like buying their albums and that, but I used to love them when I heard them on Peel and that. Yeah, Take the Skinheads Bowl in and Birdhouse in Your Soul and all that stuff, but I wasn't like, a big fan. Nah. Mm. But, um, yeah, I mean, I was more into, as I said before, the postcard and the bunny man and all that. Um, yeah. Nice. I love Gorky's. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, a few bands, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, look, Robert, this has been fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much for this. No, and uh, thank you for your... And, and I'm pleased that you've been able to get some fresh air and do your <laughs> daily exercise at the same time. I mean, I'll do did, that earlier. I think I pulled something. Oh, dear, you'll have to do your yeah. meditation. So is this at yeah. Rich, Are you in Richmond still? Sorry? Did, wait, what, Richmond? No, what park were you in? You were walking around? Regent's Park. Regent, sorry. Yeah, it's very central London. I don't, go, I don't do the outskirts. No, God, of course not. That's, that's just where the low life live. But Regent's yeah. Park, nice. Well, there you yeah, go. just been walking around Primrose Hill, Regent's Park, a bit of Camden. All the little, uh, little travel, little travel uh, interview that was. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. Nice, it's nice to get the atmosphere of motorbikes as well as... Yeah. yeah. Anyway, look, this is great. Well, look, take care and hope um, right. hope it goes well. And I'll and I'll send you the link when I um, do this, and you can always put it on your social media yeah. platforms. But I definitely, yeah, I'm definitely gonna post about. It. Yeah, let us know how it will go if it come out okay. And yeah, it'd be nice to hear it. Definitely. Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah. look, take care and hope okay. your back gets better. But uh, thanks again <laughs> for this time. Okay. Okay. And Cheers. if you want any sessions, look it up. Body meditation. <laughs> I will. All right, then. I'll follow you on Twitter. Okay, see you later. Yeah, just have a look anyway. All right, and cheers. Thanks, Dave, for the interview. Very nice of you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Cheers. And that is how you um, end an interview, I do believe. <laughs> or not. Anyway, look, I always like to keep that in because it's so fumbly. Um, and that is it. Right. Big thank you to Rob um, Secula from the 14 Ice Bears for his time and walk. It was enjoyable. Um, this has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me for some random reason, you can on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, do C86 Show. Also, these have all been archived. Aren't you lucky? You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. And also, if you want to find anything about the 14 Ice Bears, if you Google away, I think there's stuff on Bandcamp and probably you can find them on the Facebook. Anyway, look, have a great week. Stay safe.